tune into this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 427 with Michal Cahill and we discuss resisted speed training. How to better understand where your training needs to focus with youth athletes when it comes to speed and using resisted sprint training. But just before we do dive into this episode, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you want a free solution to be able to collect, visualize, analyze, and present data to coaches, check out AMS Lite from Rock Daisy at rockdaisy.com. So a practitioner out there has read your work, has read the work of various different other um, researchers when it comes to resisted sprints. They think this, this, they've read it, great idea, I'm in. How do they assess what's needed for their athlete? That's the first part of call. Would you be able to talk us through how you would do that? How would you assess where to focus the time within the resisted sprint um, method? Yeah, I suppose like anything, um, uh, resisted resisted sprinting and modes, different modes. It's like if it's similar to, um, you know, we always assessed for one rep max, and we would spend hours on Excel spreadsheets differentiating between eighty seven and a half percent being a five rep max and ninety percent being a three rep max, and programming in half percent increments. And it was when I went to Baylor actually first, I would see the amount of time that was spent on strength in the weight room. And, but then I would see the amount of emphasis put on speed. And at that time, you know, when I was there, I think it was Robert RG3 was there and he saw went second in the, in the draft for mega money. And like, you know, the, the amount of money that a, um, a 40 yard dash can be worth, you know, 0.1 of a second in a 40 yard dash. So, speed is was always king but we weren't ever programming for speed we've started to see that now with maximal aerobic speed you know i'm actually at the moment i just took on because like i said I like taking on stuff head of athletic performance for the clare uh, gaelic football team here in ireland and love it i'm working with a group of 40 athletes um and and really trying to get into the maximal aerobic speed because i had a an emphasis i suppose on strength and power for the last 10 years where Conditioning wouldn't have as, as much an emphasis across the majority of sports in America as it does in Europe. But um, so maximum aerobic speed, we started programming for that. So I'm going, I'll never forget seeing a picture. And it was, a, it was someone coming out of a blocks, sprint blocks. And the coach beside me said, he pointed to the knee and he goes, that's why we squat, squat for the knee. And then he pointed to his hips, like projecting out of the blocks. And he said, that's why we clean hip dominant triple extension. And I looked at it and I, it made no sense to me, none whatsoever. Because in my head, I was saying, well, that's, they're both vertical movements and this is a horizontal type movement. So I thought it made a lot. And we would spend so much time programming and assessing and monitoring those exercises in a vertical plane of motion, but not much in a horizontal plane of motion. So to me, that was the first thing I wanted to do is look at how do we assess. So... You know, most simply to assess is you take a, if you want to prescribe, let's say a one rep max for resisted sled pushing or pulling is you, you first off just need a, um, their max speed in let's say meters per second. So have them run an unresisted sprint. You know, a lot of teams now have obviously got, um, GPS 
and there's been lots of work done on that and it's become you know shown as valid for maximal sprint speed and looking at some of the work Garrett Sanford's doing with 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 sprint speed versus maximal aerobic speed for anaerobic speed reserve so you can get their max speed out of that in a game or you can just set up two timing gates do a fly you don't need to do a 40 meter fly or fly or a 60 meter fly reading the research people accelerate typically your team sport athletes will accelerate between 30 to 35 meters they'll hit their top speed or 20 25 to 35 meters majority will hit their top speed two gates um and you get a get their top speed once you have that um because uh force and velocity have a linear relationship what you need to do is put a load be it sled pushing or sled pulling a load that slows them by more than 50 percent and a load that slows them by less than 50%. So what I would do typically then is three sprint trials, and I would have them go at uh, pull a light load. Let's say it massively differs, obviously, dependent on surface. So you need to be consistent in surface. But that was one of the reasons, sorry, a little tangent again, that was one of the reasons I got into it was I was chatting with you know, a professional rugby club. I said, well, what load do you use on sled pushing or pulling? Wanted to develop can assist in developing speed um i'm not saying it beats top unresisted speed right <laughs> you know but i'd be putting my money on it ahead of a squat and the amount of time spent on a squat um and it was just oh well if it's wet we put 100 kg and if it's light we put 60 kg on it and i was thinking mm, doesn't make sense to me so yeah a light load so it could be 30 percent of body mass then a heavy load could be 100 percent of body mass um for a sled pull um and then i have a, actually have a calculator on, on 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 my website which allows you to plug them in um and it'll spit out to me i defined it into uh four different zones a technical kind of competency zone um which is you can use a really light load if you want to emphasize some sort of a technical one because it doesn't affect sprint mechanics typically under 10 percent then a, a speed strength zone um then a power zone and last one a strength speed zone so really building on some work by the likes of brian mann in a linear um plane of motion but one unresisted sprint trial two resisted sprint trials you can plug them into a calculator i have it on my website you can probably link that it's mcahillphd.com um and it'll spit it out for you very aware that some people don't have the uh, even that gps or even timing gates mightn't be available to them so you can just take the general guideline um which we'll probably talk about in a little bit but that's when to use heavy when to use moderate and when to use light um i would have i suppose from a research on a qualitative standpoint you know one of the things that i would have um i suppose came across or noticed is that the let's say the load we used in a youth population um if we just prescribed by body mass like go at 50 percent body mass or 50 percent um both of us rob went to 50 percent body mass as youth athletes the actual decrease in velocity could be double double that between us given the diverging rates of um of of strength specifically horizontal strength so again just look at this from a squat standpoint would you ever walk into a team and say yeah, you, I want everyone to put 50% of body weight on it because you have some guys that are really strong and some guys that are not so strong on it. So, you know, what's key is we want the load that we prescribe. It doesn't have to be to the exact 
percentage, but we want to get a consistent training stimulus um, so that the, um, the training stimulus matches the desired adaptation, be it in a strength speed, power, or speed strength zone for these horizontal strength training modalities. Before we dive into why you would use low, medium, and high loads in both these um, uh, pull and push, I'm going to caveat that by a que- with a question. Do people need to worry about the long-term adaptation of sprint technique using heavy loads? What do we know in this yeah. area? <clears throat> it's completely, there's no research to support it. But I mean, if, if I take my kids for a walk in a push sled instead of a pram or a stroller or a buggy like that's not good you know it's the polarization approach to it but you know if you're looking at using um, resisted sled training as a a a supplemental modality not a substitute for a sprint training program you know if i do between two sets of between six to eight reps i'll take energy systems into account so want to solely focus on ATP CP standpoint of it so you know let's say we're doing five seconds so five seconds by eight is 40 seconds by another by two sets is one minute 20 so in one minute 20 one minute and 20 seconds of training a week I don't think that that's going to affect as long as we're putting a technical emphasis on the unresisted component now, if we substitute and say we're not doing any unresisted sprinting, we're not doing. We're just going to do resisted sprinting. Could it have an impact? You know, maybe. Um, but as long as it, there's a holistic approach to it, and we we don't become polarized in our approach, I don't see any negative aspects to it. As long as here's the other key thing: you coach it. As long as you coach it. So I've had more success. I won't say in teaching someone how to sprint properly i'll say a team sport youth athlete where i'm caught for time i've had a little bit more success when i'm caught for time in trying to coach proper technique of resisted let's say sled push or pull getting that power line with them and getting them to maintain that straight line from ankle to hip or getting them to push more horizontally into the ground if i'm just trying to emphasize acceleration just the accelerative component and I'm focusing on initial acceleration for a um, youth team sport athlete than I would by taking them completely unresisted because what I see it as is it's an external stimulus that you can use as a coaching cue so it's a different type of coaching and it doesn't mean you don't do it unresisted and you don't focus on it now track and field I learned a very big lesson I was training she was the number two in state in Dallas training or I was doing my PhD and I did a lot of work on some resisted sled push work and I actually increased some levels of acceleration but I did it at the cost of decreasing Vmax with her because and I just put too much on the initial acceleration and not enough on Vmax and what she needed was she actually needed much more max velocity stuff but the demands of an individual track and field athlete compared to a team sport athlete are very very different you know with regards and again let's not get polarized multiple reasons to do unresisted sprint training in addition to resisted injury prevention i do it with current team i'm head of performance we'll do it closer to game 
so that we actually, within 48 hours, so we'll do max velocity work, so we actually prepare them for the demands of what they're going to face on um, the weekend, on the Saturday or Sunday, we might do it on the Thursday, we do more velocity work. Plyometrics. Ken used to always say this to me, Ken Clark, is sprinting is the greatest plyometric the body can do. There is no exercise that gets you on and off the ground in 0.1 of a second, like sprinting. So unresisted sprinting from a plyometric standpoint. So again, it's about not being polarized. But sometimes with team sport athletes, I think you can get good bang for your buck as long as you coach it and you can incorporate different aspects of technical reinforcement of exercises while getting a horizontal strength training stimulus which could all have been preceded by doing some unresisted sprint work with an emphasis on, on max velocity and proper technique without any external load. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip came from episode number 427 with Michal Cahill and the full episode can be found on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. And I look forward to chatting to you next time.